1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years
0: in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
1: This is
2: an ABC podcast. Do you guys know Ash Barty won at Wimbledon last night? Oh, really? Yeah, I know. You wouldn't know, would you? Because they were playing Nick Kyrgios on the TV instead of the Ash Barty game because she's number one. I don't know if you know this. She's no, number one. Is she?
0: Ash,
2: what was her last name? She's a female um, tennis player called Ash Barty. She's number one. Oh. And um, <laughs> yeah. she started I, a I campaign last night, but she wasn't, her game wasn't on the TV because they were showing Nick Kyrgios and Jordan Thompson. In Do you know ha- who jo- Jordan Thompson is? No. No. Is you he your favourite Australian tennis player? Mm. No. No. Never heard of him. So they didn't play Ash Barty. Turns out she won. What's her name again? <laughs> good plan. Who thought of that one? Good
0: plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of St. podcast. Here is a moment
3: in time in the history of the AFL. Dead from the
0: side. Houghton. She was
2: surrounded by blue jumpers. the Groundbreakers. History makers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. Stretch your legs out, ladies. There's only three <laughs> of us in the house. I am your captain, Emma Race, and I am joined by my football loving Sanctum sisters. <laughs> There's a lot less than usual. I'm going to let you introduce yourselves.
0: Hello, I'm Nicole Hayes.
1: And hello, I'm Kate Sia. And that's
2: it. That's it. <laughs> Everyone right.
1: else. Hi.
0: Do we bags? have a quorum? Mind and, you. No, can, we don't have,
2: we
1: quorum. Don't have a quorum. <laughs> can I just say um, some of our listeners might remember that last year the three of us did a show, <laughs> just the three of us, the morning after we'd won an award and we'd had a big night, and I still think it was the loosest. No disrespect to our fellow Sanctum sisters who are also who were great, but it was a loose... <laughs> Fun show and I thought, let's bring a little bit of that back today. Let's be honest, those girls who are
2: not on the pod, they won't listen to this. No, they won't. (laughs) They won't. They won't. Why would they? Why would they? They're not here. We're here. No. We're the one percenters <laughs> no, today, it. ladies. We're we it. it. Okay, I am so excited. We've got so much to talk about today, but I have got a commentary watch for you, Kate. Oh, yes, here. please. Okay, it well, was sent to us by one of our gorgeous followers on Instagram who was watching the St Kilda VFLW game when the commentator said the following words All credit to Peter Credlin. I mean, Searle. <laughs>
0: Oh, I guess, you know, she's a, a high-profile woman, so say, really. I absolutely loved it. I couldn't <laughs> get enough of
1: it. Speaking of commentary watch, I just want to say, I mean, I know we're going to talk in a moment about, well, let's talk about the round of footy. Can yeah, we talk let's about do it. It was amazing. Footy, it was quite something. You know, there were so many close games, as our listeners will know. Essendon over GWS by a goal. Eagles over Hawks. Can we not a talk goal. about that one? Yeah, uh, we can talk Carton about that one. Of, mm. of course, against Rio, which we'll talk about. But Bulldogs power. Bulldogs yeah. power. But you know, what was really interesting to me is in then a couple of those close finishes when it was really down to the wire, a couple of the players lowered their eyes. Did, did they lower they? their eyes? Yeah. And I'm always really impressed by that that somehow they can lower their eyes. Were in any the of final them working moments.
2: doing some great work underground? <laughs>
1: <laughs> a couple of them were. One of them kept their feet too. And I did wonder like what for those players who don't keep their feet, where do their feet go in that instant? Mm. Do they and toss them off over the You know, the side I have a whole and,
2: thing about when players Boots come off and you see the players <laughs> have right. actual so Very It's strange. So unsettling. But some big stuff came out of that last round. Mm. Yes. The um the ladder has shifted. Richmond has Pushed its way up the ladder as Tess, the super producer, does a little dance in the <laughs> studio. Another huge thing was um, I got to speak to Dima Hardwick on the ground oh, nice. on Sunday for ABC Grandstand. And as I was holding the microphone up to his face, I kind of looked around and saw the fans hanging over the boundary and saw the players. Sydney Stack was going past and like giving a little tap and a little kidney <laughs> punch from Dusty. And Koch ran past and he's so devastatingly handsome. And, um, and my hands started shaking and I had to Aww. hold the microphone with two hands. Because I just got a bit overwhelmed, and Damien Hardwick was so lovely. But the most exciting thing he said for a football fan is that Alex Rance is on his way back. He said he's way ahead of schedule. Like he didn't say he's a freak of nature, but he said like this man is exceptional and has really like just exceeded all their expectations, and they think he might even be back this season.
1: I know I'd be excited if I was a Tigers fan because it feels like they're they're coming. And a couple of those top teams have stumbled a little bit. Maybe not Geelong. They're still pushing along pretty well. What what about
2: Collingwood? Had their lowest score in like twenty five years. Yeah, it It wasn't a great look. I wrote a
1: memo afterwards and I circulated it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Did you? Mm. Great. Mm. Um, what about North and the caretaker coach? I just huh. love watching Reece Shaw. What does he eat? He's got something <laughs> in that little tiny. He's got like a paper cup that would mm. have Gatorade in it or something. I feel like he's eating ice chips or Skittles or something like a yeah, lolly a or. Chewy. A, oh, hang on. We've got a, We've got confirmation from Tess. What is it? They mixed lollies. He has
1: a person who wow. fills up the mixed lolly oh, and he has a refill several times into the cup do you know which mix yeah well, does he skip? Yeah. debate he about whether the party it's the retro the round yeah. okay. I don't know
0: okay. Okay. I don't know wow. he's some, yeah he's, he's
1: really a bit jealous I want, chowing awesome. down there mm. well he's probably nervous though and he needs the sugar right they I get nervous don't have the sugar mm.
0: But they did. They are. The, play, the yeah. players do keep saying that, or what, you know, when they were being interviewed after the game, this idea of him going back to the basics and he's just keeping it simple and remembering your fundamentals and, and trying to take some of that kind of overarching high thinking strategy out of the game, which is a really interesting approach. Well, that,
1: you know, my friend. freed them up, I, I think. I might have said this before. My friend Zare has a theory, which is that at quarter time and half time and three quarter time, what the coaches are saying to them is get the ball. Mm. Kick it between the big sticks. Because
0: mm. really that's don't miss what mm. you need to do to that's win. That's the main thing is to score more than your opponent. the opponent. I mean ball that's it really between isn't it? the big sticks. Yeah, yeah I feel like you could to be it. onto something
2: because when players are relaxed and they only have one thing to think <laughs> of, right. like kicking goals, <laughs> yeah. they do seem to respond oh, yeah. pretty well. Mm. You know, like yeah. you look at that, I saw someone tweeting, I think it was Shiloh tweeting that um the old fashioned Terry Wallace spray saying oh, yes. the players would not have heard Anything he said, because all he did was yell at them yeah. until mm. the last message, yeah. which was go yeah, in or after something. The showers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and I know from having children, you can't load them up with more than three instructions. Mm. You got no chance.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is age dependent, I think. So they technically, men are these adults. No, you're giving me a look. Yeah, no, it's true. I'm comparing my children with yep. grown men, but. Mm. I mean, my kids take
2: on <laughs> instruction better than my husband, so I guess that's my research. Well, Anyway,
1: that's fair. Back to the round. Yeah. So <laughs> –
2: thank God
1: you're here. I just wanted to mention a couple of things from the round. One is a couple of tweets that were sent out by our friend Giggs, who Mm. I just love to follow along what he's got to say. He's always putting out great content and he noted some symmetry in the first three games of the round. So Essendon defeated GWS 77 to 71. Cats and Crows was 96-69. Hawks and Eagles 71-77. So they looked quite Mm. symmetrical. And then he also made the point that was so that the, a palindrome? Not quite. Mm, that's disappointing. But it was nice enough to satisfy my desire for mm. symmetrical com- content. And then he noted that the Hawthorne Eagles' result, the score was 9 17 71 to 11 77. And he noted that the only other team to lose with that score line was Melbourne, who. Lost in June 1953, and so he pointed out that this was a good omen for the Hawks because thereafter Melbourne made seven grand finals in a row and won Aww. five. Wow! So there's been a lot of talk that Clark, you know, Hawthorne's at the end of an yeah. era and so on. But no, no, they're not. As it
2: turns out, history books <laughs> would say from yeah, when they're about when to to start? was it
1: 1953? 19... <laughs> so, so they're about to a go to <laughs> You know, when you
2: have a, a palindrome or symmetrical looking score line, hmm. can we call that? The Linda Evangelista.
0: Oh yes. Do you remember why she had the perfect perfectly non- symmetrical yes. face? Yes.
1: Yeah. She um, did.
0: <laughs> One number
1: I do want to mention is six 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 because oh, yeah. you know how the AFL have introduced the six 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 rule this yes. year in the men's, so that that's the rule by which you a goal's been scored and you set up again for the centre bounce. You have to have six behind the ball, six forward to the ball, and six around the ball. And I have been sceptical about a. FL rule changes this year, but I saw. I think we saw that rule work on the weekend because in the the Frio Carlton game, Frio led by two points with three minutes to go, and then three goals were scored in the last. Three minutes, actually mm. in the last two and a half minutes, because yeah. Murphy's goal was yeah, scored with minutes. 30 seconds yeah. to go. You know, that's because you can't, you know, you can't flood uh, the, back the back line, line. you can't yeah. put yeah. numbers behind the ball. And so it becomes a much more genuine contest. And I think we've seen a lot of close finishes <laughs> starting to come through in recent I felt recent the same weeks. in the Hawthorne
2: West Coast game. Yes. Yeah. Can I just say about that Hawthorne West Coast game? I felt like that was a win for everyone because if you're a Hawthorne supporter, it felt like a win because we were like 12th on the ladder yeah. and we almost we beat should. fourth on the ladder. But very anyone else who hates Hawthorne, mm. we
0: lost a we close lost. one. Yeah. So that's a win-win <laughs> for was. the whole and, of the competition, and there's right? A to take out of that, I mean, seventeen points. We we're off. You know, Hawthorne was off target by a lot. So you know, hope for the future. Maybe well, that the Melbourne seven Grand the seven finals nineteen in fifty-three in things. True. Can I just give a shout
1: out to the to the Carlton fans though? Because yeah. I'm amazing what a finish. What a Is, game! Has Ed Cano
0: finished his lap of honour? Yes, that was beautiful, <laughs> <like, laughs> was so wasn't it? I hope he has. I, I hope, hope Charlie's still going to be okay. Yes, yeah, that so, was really yeah. sad. It was like Twelve I, minutes in and they had they had no crips. It's uh, extraordinary. I mean, it's amazing signs. And, and they've got a caretaker coach. Yeah. I had to
2: say to Andy at one point, what's the name of your coach again? <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> could know. You name the, could you name the coach?
3: David, David T. T? Yeah, you've
1: got it. But I mean, just. But it's hard. It's hard. I know. But I, I just think we shouldn't let the, the moment pass without allowing, sorry, Fremantle fans, but allowing Carlton fans to just soak it up a little bit more. So let's just hear that final audio again.
0: It is one of the results of the season. David T has been able to help the Blues as interim coach to a shock win in the West. The old dark Navy Blues, (laughs) what an upset. They beat Freo by four points. You think about the fact that the Blues won one game in the first eleven against the Bulldogs and then have just won two out of three. And the thir- and the one that they lost to the Bulldogs, they're out by three points. Like it could have gone either way. And that's all- those three games are since T came in, it's hard not to be impressed by that switch. Their yeah. second
2: efforts, they're getting behind the ball, like getting their own ball, be- having belief in the last couple of minutes, all of the cliches. They're doing it like one week at a time. They're doing all <laughs> of them and it's really paying off. I feel like this is what that group has needed mm. because everyone's been talking green shoots. You know, you look at the a list it's a good list. Yeah. There's um, it was so good to see Daisy kick that goal. And mm-hmm. when he sprinted, he ran in, high fived like some of the fans, and then just kept sprinting and <laughs> ran. It was like Forrest <laughs> Gump, ran all the way to the bench, and he and was smiling running. the whole way. And I
1: was like, oh,
2: that's good, but don't have a drink to celebrate.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say one person that does come to mind at that time is Brendan Bolton because I think mm. the coach that's lost their job is always forgotten at moments like these. Or or if Remembered it's because people think that this is a kind of vindific- vindication of having sacked them. And you know, I can't really speak to what changes within a club and the, how the dynamic shifts up when you lose your coach, but I imagine that it does really galvanize the players yeah, and that yeah. they feel that loss. And so I just wanted to
0: have a little shout. Do You yeah. him and
2: Brad Scott are just, you know, have you ever had that situation? Like, I remember <laughs> where I was the day that my ex boyfriend was getting married.
0: Yeah, right. I reckon
2: that's what Brad Scott and um, yeah. Brendan Bolton kind of do when they're watching those games. <laughs> do you reckon they just kind of bunker down, turn off Twitter, order a jug of g and T? I I reckon
0: Brad Scott's more comfortable with it than... But I feel like Bolts is like a I bit of a, I don't know, softy at heart. and I, I He'd be happy for th- them. Well, I hope
1: they're having a G&T. I think so. I
0: think he would be. I hope yeah.
1: they're having a and t together and if they do, I... Tip my teeny tiny hat to them. Is anyone missing the runners?
0: I actually think it's an improvement. I know I might not be the only one. And I, you know, you, I've been watching the World Cup and I got up this morning at some ridiculous mm-hmm. hour, didn't, not, not to see it all, but to watch the American English oh, game. was amazing. What which was, was amazing. And we will come back through. to that. Yep. 2 1 to the uh, Lionesses. But they have their signs and the numbers and they do this. They don't have runners. And it, you know, it's a fluid game. It's an ongoing game like AFL is. So, you know, there is a model that exists and it works really well. I do think it puts more on the players, the leadership group, to do more thinking and more strategy and to be able to respond to the moment. And I just like not having all those extra colours on the, on the oval too. I completely disagree with you.
2: <laughs> I miss the runners and I'll tell you why. Because, because you're married to one? No, that's not why. Because if I was playing and I always picture myself playing when I'm there, it would change everything everything for Mm. me if I was playing and I didn't have a runner to come out and tell me stuff because, firstly, I can't see those boards. I don't know what's happening on the ground. Like often when I'm at a game, I know less about it than if I'm watching it from – when I'm watching Mm -hmm. at home, I know so much Mm. more because I can see Mm. it better. But when I'm actually playing, when you're actually on the ground, it's really hard to see what's happening. Yes. And so I think that the runner is the eyes and ears of – it gives the, the players, yeah, it gives the players more insight into what's happening, which means that they can tweak their game as they're going. It gives them a better opportunity, and so I find it. Well, that's what I, that's how I anticipate. I mean, I've played three whole games in my mm. whole life, but so I feel like. We might not see the best of the players because we don't have the runner.
0: Skill. Kate, you're the dividing, you're the. Oh, am I you're having yeah, one on one at the
1: moment? You're the customer. Well, you know, board. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago because I was trying to I work my way through. I know it was a really good episode, Nicole.
0: Can you download it later? You can download okay. it on
1: your favourite podcast platform and you can give it an iTunes review, five stars only. <laughs> I'll get right on that. I think whatever your position is the reality what it comes down to either way is that whether you have runners or not they do shape and influence and affect the game that's the truth of it so if you don't have runners come on and you don't have players able to receive messages especially in those especially in those final moments where players are tired and there's not long to go and you know the scrambling to think about positional changes or trying to get a read on what's happening you know the truth is that if you don't have runners come out the players are left to their own devices and I'm stating the obvious here but mm. But that's the game that you get. And so the question is, is that the game you want? Or do you want players to be left to their own devices, exhausted, trying to make decisions under pressure? I kind of like that yeah. in, in many ways, but I appreciate that it might not end up therefore being the best ske- uh, sort of spectacle mm-hmm. or the best possible contest that we could have because coaches are in a position where they can pull strings and make those positional changes or send messages out to people. So you're just reiterating what we both said. Give us an opinion. Come (laughs) on, she's an academic. I I am an academic (laughs) and I'm writing a 5,000-word paper on it. It's starting now. (laughs) We've got to get to (laughs) interview. (laughs) Runners, Um, yes or no? My gut feeling at the moment is
0: I'm happy not to have them in the game. Can I... I win, I win. <laughs> Emma, I have At one question. If if you could put the time left in the game on the board for the players to see, would that change your mind? Yes, it would. And I, I love it. And lots of people you hate this. Yes. You want the time on the board. I don't understand I like why we should
2: get to know the time and they don't know the time. That's
0: a, But that's a, a ploy in, um, I think like no one in suspense writing. Did you know that? We, where like, the reader knows more than the main character and you it, it, it's a strategy in suspense spent so you know it's a good storytelling Can I technique.
1: say I, I think it's no a real one who done it it was Professor Plum in the forward line library. with the candlestick. I think it should be, I think no one should know the time because I think the most. <laughs> well, not even the umpires. Not even the umpires. No, not the players nor the
0: do audience. Do you think the umpires do know? Actually, I don't know. And the reality well, is we know question. that one of the things that we looked at with the re- when we were looking at the research around games is that their umpiring skills are affected by the pressure yes. of the, and How knowing time that might go. actually um, impinge their ability to make decisions. But I just
1: want to say, If I think about the best few games that I can remember, where the the final stages of the games are really vividly um, sort of seared into my memory. One of them is the 2005 Grand Final, Sydney West Coast, where we didn't know how long there was to go. And if you watch the replay, there's like 32 or 34 minutes on the clock by the time that Leo Barry takes that mark. And I remember pacing my lounge room going, I have no idea how long to go, you know, and the intensity and the excitement and the suspense. It says it on the... the... No, it didn't say it on the doesn't... it, I didn't there was back w- then. when it Channel Ten show. was it doing it; show they it.
0: wouldn't show the clock.
1: And at the on Geelong Prelim Final, where I was at the ground, I mm. must admit it is the one game where I did ask people yeah. how long yeah. was left. Because you guys I are quite, always I I messaging
2: me if I'm at home. Yeah. We say so, well, how much <laughs> time, time is left? How, left? how much time? How much time? I will say this: as a child, the time on clock mm. at VFL Park mm. was so confusing when I was learning analog time. <gasps> I didn't understand what the red portion meant on an analog clock. Not you entirely. You know where the big
1: hand is. <laughs> the, the, the time the on hand clock is very confusing hand. for
2: a child. Yeah. I'm just going to say that.
1: I'm Chelsea Randall, and you're listening
2: to the Outer Sanctum. All right, ladies, let's stop. Talk- dilly-dallying and roll up our sleeves and let's melee. Nicole, And there's been some big news. We have already touched on it um, out of the World Cup. The Americans had a win overnight, so they are through to the final. They have been amazing on the field and also on the socials.
0: Haven't they? And, you know, you can't argue that Megan Rapinoe has actually been owning this space. And the thing that stood out for me, among the many glorious things she's said and done over the last weeks and, and over her career, if you and I do encourage everyone to do some research on her, she's an amazing character. But there was this fantastic photograph that went around of her after she kicked the winning goal against France in the semi, standing in the corner with her arms outstretched, just taking up all the space that she could. Doing a Sarah Perkins. Doing a Sarah Perkins. Oh, good point. That's right. Mm. Um, Maybe she's a fan. Who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be, right? Mm. And actually, it's a very standard sort of victorious sporting stance. But there were people in the world, believe it or not, (laughs) who took offence at this particular positioning and about Megan Rapinoe as well, generally. And one of them was a person who I'm, let's give him a rhyming name. We'll call him Fierce Organ. Well <laughs> <laughs> oh, that gives him way what? too much credit.
1: So, and can I just say for our listeners, Nicole said to us about eight times this morning, I've got a rhyming, I've got a name, I've got a rhyming, ri- really nick- not a it. rhyming, I've got a nickname for him.
2: Love it. <laughs> what if Fierce Organ has to say? <laughs>
0: Oh, Sorry, geez. just give me a sec. Ba-na-ba-na. I'm so <laughs> proud of that. So good. That is a kin with Aristotle, friend of the pod. <laughs> so he said, Ms Rapino sure does love herself. Can't wait to see our lionesses dent that stupendous ego. Pot kettle, let's just start there. But in that person's Twitter feed were very similar stances by all the various cricketers and soccer players and other men, he does admire doing very similar position, holding themselves in a very similar position. So I'm not really sure that that's actually about what she was doing and perhaps it's more about who she is.
2: Can I just ask this, though? If he's saying can't wait for the lionesses to take her down, yeah, is he just trash talking? Like he's just being parochial and trash-talking a player from the other
0: team. Look, I think if it were any other character, you could perhaps believe that, but he does have some form and he has some significance. He does then go and defend his position in that he doesn't like her at all. Right. Um, And he is renowned to be a a very good friend of a certain president Mm -hmm. of that same country where Meghan um, comes from. Let's call him Ronald Grump. Ronald Grump. And people will know that Megan was was asked about her, the possibility of going to the White House. We might just have a listen to her. I stand
1: by the comments that I made about not wanting to go to the White House with the exception of the expletive. My mom will be very upset about that. But I think obviously entering with a lot of passion considering how much you know time and effort and pride we take in the platform um, that we have and using it for good and for leaving the game in a better place and hopefully the world in a better place. I don't think that I would want to go, and um, I would encourage my teammates to think hard about lending that platform or having that co opted by an administration that doesn't feel the same way and doesn't fight for the same things that,
0: that we fight for. She's pretty amazing, isn't she? Her presence and just her influence on the game is extraordinary. I, it did make me think about that idea of contested space and how women in the sporting space in particular or any traditionally um, male-dominated spaces really have to fight to just be there but also any sort of suggestion that they own that place is meets contest. It reminded me of um, a certain commentator on another network. We'll call him Andy Marr. <laughs> We'll call him. Candy bar. (laughs) Candy bar. (laughs) Candy. beautiful. So Candy uh, was discussing the <laughs> AFLW coaching pathways a few weeks ago, and he'd been on, he had Bridie O'Donnell, who's a you know friend of the pod, talking about it for, I don't know, a few minutes. And he got callers and tweets complaining about how much time he spends on women's sport. And his re- response was really powerful, but also very indicative of what um, the general perception is around women whenever we take up space. He said, we do 15 hours a week on this show, and we must spend all of 15 minutes, I reckon, maybe 20, talking about women's sports. So I'm sorry you get sick of listening to it all day long. I don't know why you get so angry about it when we have a conversation like this. Do we love Andy? We love Andy. I know you
2: already. He's all right, but he never puts the dishes in the dishwasher just in the (laughs) sink. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Typical bloke, but you know it's the same complaint. They've you know women have talked about in meetings when they're considered to be dominating a meeting, and then you actually measure the time, and it turns out to be that they're not even halfway there. And girls and boys in classrooms and the way that they dominate teachers' attention is divided more heavily towards boys. And even when they is that true? Yeah, research that was done quite recently in the United States said that eight times the time more was spent on boys in the classroom and even when they forcibly try to adjust it it's still far less than than half the time is given to girls and everybody the boys get very disruptive and the girls are very uncomfortable about it there's been that research has been carried out multiple times the
2: thing that gets me about that is the conversation that you often hear around AFLW that of people saying i just don't want it rammed down my throat yeah. i'm like we actually don't have the facilities to ram it down mm. your throat because we don't have 18 teams we don't play everyone. So we don't even have as many games as you would Mm. normally. Mm. And we don't even have as many outlets. So we actually don't physically
0: have the function to ram it down anyone's Throat. No, and well, even, yeah. even when our number one tennis player is uh, playing, she doesn't even get her game broadcast. Hello. Yeah. But
1: because of the tradition of male dominance in media and, and sport and, and in so many institutions and fields, the mere mention of women's sport, if it pops up in somebody's Twitter feed, for example, some people feel quite shocked by that because it does represent a significant departure from tradition. And so it feels like it's being thrown into your face when actually it's just this tiny little blip in a much bigger landscape. Can I just say a couple of quick things about Rapino just to tie some of that off, Nick? I wanted to read a tweet from Danny Garavelli. She tweeted and said, thinking about that amazing Megan Rapinoe shot, so that that's the image you're talking about, mm. Nicole, and how women are taught from the earliest age to take up as little space as possible to make ourselves invisible. So we feel both uneasy and liberated looking at it. And I saw someone else tweet and say, you know, thanks to Rapinoe, she's just t- showed us what a ready-made statue is going oh, to look wow. like. Props also to the person who updated Rapinoe's wiki page to call <laughs> her the president of the United States of America, which I just <laughs> love. Nice. We tweeted it, out the other day, we'll tweet it out again. There's a highly recommended article that I would just love everybody to look at by mm. Gwendolyn Oxenham for ESPN. It's called Megan Rapinoe's Greatest Heartbreak and Hope. It's about her, her family, her relationship with her brother in particular. And if you don't get a bit teary reading about the, or of imagining the image of a whole bunch of men in their prison cells, jumping up mm. and down and cheering for those women, You're not
2: Team Rapino has been really great in actually supporting her in all of their different forms. There was another awesome article which we will tweet out called So the President Effing Hates My Girlfriend, which is by Mm -hmm. Megan Rapino's partner, which is a really great read this morning and great insight into the woman that she is and what kind of drives her to do and say the things that she has the courage to do and say. During the week she said something in a press conference which was so singing from our song sheet that I just felt like we were living parallel lives. She said this in a presser, much as we love all your men's faces, the more women the better. We want to get more women asking questions to tell the stories from a different perspective. It tells a more complete story when we have a more diverse group of people telling that story for us. I'm like hello, she's the patron saint of the podcast. I mean <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that we've been begging on for years mm. about and there she is on the big stage taking it to the next level. Another part of that was that something happened this week, which was from one of our ABC stablemates. And regardless of what you think of the Logies, when Dylan Alcott was awarded for Best New Talent and he got up on the stage and accepted his award, he was also singing from the same song sheet.
3: This award means a lot to me because I used to absolutely hate having a disability. I've been in a wheelchair my whole life and I hated it. One of the reasons I did hate it is when I turned on the TV... I never saw anybody like me. And when I did see someone like me, it was a road safety ad where someone drink drives, has a car accident, and the next scene is someone like me whose life's over. And I was like, that's not my life. Um, I want to get a job on TV because I love sharing stories, but also to show that people with disability can be talented, funny, humorous, just normal people enjoying their lives.
2: That one really spoke to mm. me regardless of what you think of the Logies and, I mean, I can't see I can't see the wood for the trees for all the Logies in here today. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so we're wall to wall in here. I tripped these, over a couple over of ways way in. um, It got me thinking, and this is something I've been thinking about for a while, that I think about all the people who are making waves and pointing out diversity and inclusion and, and we're included in that. That's part that's what our remit is. But I think about people in footy clubs and Tanya Hosh and Dylan Alcott and Megan Rapino. And the thing that occurs to me is that while they're doing this work, which is the work of looking outward, and trying to fly the flag, they then still have to work in a system and in a place where they also have to fly the flag for themselves within those workplaces. And I have a real concern that there's going to be a burnout. Think about Tanya Hosh, for example, and I kind of touched on this a couple of episodes ago. She would have been the one that put out the statement on Adam Goods. And she not only copped it from the outward audience who were saying too little, too late to her, but she also was the one that had to advocate for that in her workplace. And I think the work of advocating for the diversity and inclusion of these organisations is tiresome work and it would wear you down day to day having to face that. You know, you could be facing all those same discriminations at work and then they roll you out for a photo shoot to show off their diversity and inclusion. And I think that happens a lot. a lot. And I think it probably happens to a lot of people who are listening to this podcast. I've got it in my mind. I feel like we need to have some leadership in this area and we need to have a conversation about this. But what it leads me to believe is that one is not enough.
1: No, no. It's, it's not because also, too, I think if you're the one woman in a room or woman at a board table or in a meeting or person of colour or from an LGBTQI community, whoever it might be, constantly saying the same thing, it is it is tiring and I worry about the personal toll it takes on people and, and one voice isn't enough. And so I want to take a quick tangent if I can. As, as you both know, I'm always looking for any excuse to um, offer up some film and television reviews because <laughs> I'm constantly auditioning for the ABC to give me my own Tonight film, show? Review, film oh. review show. That's my my actual dream. You can. So in the light, <laughs> la- look, I'm a bit Sandra sully On this, a bit Sandra Sully with the late news, but I have (laughs) just finally finished watching the first two seasons of Atlanta, which is a show that is the brainchild of super talent Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, you know, one of those people can do everything. But Atlanta is a a show that has an entirely African-American cast and writing team. And I read uh, a few days ago that in Hollywood, I believe something like 4.8% of writers are African-American people. And so this show represents something very, very different and new. And I, I just can't recommend it enough because it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary show. It's a bit of a slow builder. It's a bit strange, but it gets to a point where it's extremely powerful and poignant. And I read a quote from From Donald Glover. And he said, hopefully we speak to something broader than diversity because that conversation is lame to me now. It's kind of done. It's more important that we have a coalition of points of view. I'd rather change a dynamic. And one thing I would say about watching that program is that you can't help but watch it and feel actually moved by it from your perspective, feel affected because it is a black cast and written by an all black writing team. You are forced to contemplate a different perspective. It's not just a kind of little add on or something that's the entire vibe and ethos of the show. There's so much in it. It's a show that you can watch multiple times because there's so much going on in the background. It's about being a black person in a in the Deep South with the, the legacy of the Confederation and so on. But yes, to me, that show is a perfect example of what happens when you have a suite of voices, a group of people come together as a coalition, as Donald Glover puts it, and who are then able not just to sort of offer a different perspective that may or may not be discounted, but to unite and actually provoke a large shift in perspective and I just highly recommend it and I'd love to see that more of that in every walk of life.
2: I couldn't agree with you more, Kate. I was in a meeting with an amazing woman called Veronica Pardo who works at Multicultural Arts Victoria and she brought up a very similar point of view where she said the time for allies is over. What we need is accomplices Mm -hmm. and that really generates a concept of doing the work, not just saying that you're going to do the work and not just playing lip service, but actually jumping in and getting some skin in the game. And I think that that's what, what you're kind of talking about there. One way that we have seen that this week, actually by the government, which is always shocking and wonderful all at the same time, is that there was some stats released about equality on Victorian boards, specifically to do with sport. And I'm going to read a tweet from friend of the pod, Kate O'Halloran here, where she says, over two years ago, just 44% of Victorian sports had 40% representation on their boards. Today, that figure is 93% thanks to quotas introduced by the Victorian government. huge win for women in sport. Thank you to Bridie O'Donnell and the Change Our Game team. And I should just say that I have been the beneficiary of one of these positions where, I mean, I played the script absolutely to type. They came to me, they said, you have something that we want. And I said, me, I think you've got the wrong person and hung Mm. up. They rang again. And I said, I really don't think that you mean me. I'm not qualified. I'm just a stay-at-home mum. And then they came again. And eventually I said look, I'm not going to be any help. And then I thought, shut your pie hole, lady. Turn Mm. up. Give it a go. You do have a voice. And I am now do have a board position and I can see what I bring to it. And it's a very weird shoe to wear because I never thought that I had value or a voice and now I do. And Mm. I think that until there's quotas,
1: Someone, I would never have put my hand up for that. No. Mm. I would never have that. And you have would never have been tapped on the shoulder. And I would no, never, no. ever
2: mm. have been tapped on the shoulder. Mm. Exactly. Well,
1: what's interesting is that in this interview that I was talking about from Donald Glover, he says that he got an opportunity to, to get into writing because Tina Fey gave him such an opportunity. Right. And he said, and I've given you know, a whole bunch of people he mentions, including Stephanie Robinson, an opportunity. And he said, she want I want her to go on and have her own show as well. And it's that also like giving people a leg up, giving people an opportunity is so important. So um, I'm glad to see it's happening and let's hope we see more of it. It is time for us now to
3: go around the grounds. My name's Adele Pavlidis. I'm a research fellow at Griffith University on the Gold Coast.
1: Adele, thanks so much for joining us on The Outer Sanctum. It's been a really long time coming. We've been talking to you for ages about getting you on. I wanted to start off by just saying congratulations, first of all, because a couple of years ago you won a huge, really prestigious fellowship from the Australian Research Council called a DECRA Fellowship. You decided to spend the fellowship looking at women and sport. Can you tell us a little bit about what your research focuses on? The title is contesting
3: Australian sport cultures. So it's about how women, in particular women being more involved in contact sports and also in sport in leadership positions, contesting and shifting and changing what sport is, how it's organised, how it's played, how it's thought of. I spent my PhD researching roller derby. Uh, I'm really interested in how sport can open up questions about gender, how sport is organised and what women bring to the table. You know, they're bringing uh, something different, not necessarily just because they're women, but because you've got more diversity there. Why roller derby? That's uh, (laughs) not exactly a mainstream sport. Not at all. Yeah. Very marginal. You know, when I finished, (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, I just did a PhD about roller derby. Who cares? (laughs) You know, it just is such a rich cultural field to look at. It's run by women. It's mostly women that play. It's tough. It's really hard. You have to roller skate. I learned to jump over a person wearing roller skates. Wow. Um, well done, you. Yes, that is my uh, claim to glory. Um, <laughs> That's and quite a claim. Yeah, I'm I thought so. I thought so. It's awesome the thrill of being on roller skates and a contact sport. You know, it's quite difficult, but at the same time, it's got this, you know, feminist ethos, I guess, of trying their hardest to share power. Like that's very difficult, but they're trying to share power. They're trying to really address racism and bullying and even sexism and homophobia within their sport. And they're trying different governance models, which fascinates me. I love sport politics. So there was a lot going on in terms of, you know, who's going to govern the sport? Who has the authority to say we are roller derby? So they have this, uh, it's kind of like by the skater for the skater. But that question of, well, who is that? skater that you're talking about? Is it the person that just put on skates? Is it a retired skater, an injured skater? So currently the governing body of the woofter, it's called, uh, mostly are retired skaters, skaters who, you know, they're not actually playing roller derby right now. So, you know, it's a complex idea, but they're trying to have a different model and uh, I think that's really exciting.
1: So you're not just looking at roller derby for this fellowship, you're looking at the AFL women's competition as well and also rugby. Yes. And one thing that just fascinates found- fascinated us preparing for this interview was that you have managed to interview a bunch of women playing in the AFLW who've been prepared to speak with you anonymously about their experiences over these first couple of seasons. Yes. I imagine, Adele, that this is perhaps the first data set of its kind in Australia to have women on the record speaking openly about their experiences. Is that right?
3: Probably. uh, In terms of an independent researcher not working for the AFL, I think that that's definitely yeah the first data set there is and I have to have a shout out to Lisa Nichols my research assistant who helped with a lot of the interviews while I was on maternity leave uh, she did a fantastic job. She's a big Alliance supporter and fan.
1: So, Tell us a little bit about what you found with these women and what were the most interesting or surprising findings from speaking to them and hearing about their experiences?
3: Many of the women were quite reserved. Even though we assured their anonymity, you know, we don't talk about what clubs they're from, what states they're from. You know, it's completely random, which people might think, oh, well, then how are we going to move on that? We don't know what club they're from. Well, to us, it doesn't matter. They're privacy is more important. Even though they had that privacy, they were still hesitant to criticise. You know, they said they would play for free. They loved the game and that they were doing it for more than more than money, more than, um, you know, the prestige. They were doing it for the future, for women to come. That was all great and that's that's wonderful and that's something that these women really are bringing. But then as the interviews continued, they started to say, well, yeah, I would like this and I, I would like better pay in the future or I would like to see the AFL value our game a bit more. You know, some of them were starting to say, you know, hey, it looks like some sponsors are really taking notice and – they could see that there was a lot of interest. They knew that a lot of the fans were not traditional AFL fans, and that is, you know, a real bonus for the AFL to have completely new markets as they say. They had a sense of their worth coming coming through, and I think that that was a really important, obviously a lot of us, I mean, I know in academia it's very competitive to get a job, you'll work for free you'll, but there is a lot of exploitation that happens and you know there was a sense of at what point is it that they're being exploited but they had to keep being very optimistic you know completely positive you know they would never complain and yeah so as a researcher it's my job to then bring that forward and and talk about how you know they're just so positive and they do not want to complain at all but they are being pushed. They're having some of them having to move into state, partners, families having to support them, injuries, you know, the risk to their careers. I mean, there's so much I could talk about, yeah. actually, because so then then you had others who actually preferred that it wasn't professional, fully paid, because it meant they could balance their, um, their career with their football. And they thought for them, that was a bonus, because when they finished their football career, they still have a career ahead of them and a life ahead of them. And they thought that the men could really learn something from that and having it a bit more sustained. So I'm never looking for just one thing, you know, I'm trying to capture the complexity and and the nuance that uh, just because we're all women doesn't mean we're the same. You know, there's this kind of quote that women are not a class. (laughs) So trying to... Look at that. How many, hopefully, subjects do you expect to interview? I've interviewed administrators in the AFL as well. So I think I interviewed 16 people at different levels, uh, from head office to the states and clubs. So we talked to them about the first season of the women's AFL. And I think now I'm moving into rugby as well. We're doing some research on Twitter with Associate Professor Daryl Adair. Uh, That's been really, really exciting. We collected data from week zero to... Uh, the finals of the AFL women's and we followed all the uh, men captains of clubs that had a women's team and the women's captains and the official twitter handle and our broad question was how do men leaders engage with the women's game and we're going to do other sports as well but we started with AFL and uh, yeah the answer was hardly at all not yeah. much <laughs> And, you know, because our idea is that, well, captains are leaders and I know there's a lot on their shoulders, but it's their club. And this idea of the Twitter handle, the official one being, is that the club or is that the men's team? You know, there's just subtle things like that. When you look at the images they use to to talk about the club, do the two clubs coexist? And that's Daryl's kind of main concept is this idea of coexistence. And I love that he brought that to the table because it's not about men over here, women over here. We live in a world where we live with men. And it's not about separation for me. It's how do we live together equitably and fairly?
1: We have had the benefit of reading some of your early findings, which were fascinating and really in our wheelhouse, we loved it. But you found some very interesting things about time and different perspectives and different ways of talking about time when it comes to the women's competition. Can you just give us a a little bit of a sense of how that that theme of time? And
3: this is thanks to Professor Barbara Pinney. She, um, brilliant professor, she just looked at the data and she was like, these ideas of time just coming through. So about their futures, you know, their financial futures, their embodied futures, their, their reproductive futures their career futures, so thinking about the players first, all the different ways that they're imagining their life in the future and all the worries they have. And then with the administrators, we're trying to think about this idea of a masculine economy where the needs of the body in our society we work full time, we go to work, we exchange in the labour market and all of these things. But who is supposed to look after the children? Who is supposed to cook the food? Who's supposed to clean the house? These jobs just become somebody else has to do it. And that somebody is usually women. So in the AFLW, we noticed the ways that different people talked about time in different ways. So the A lot of the very senior people talked about very much the AFL is a product where the players are the product that, come to market and they deliver the game. Then you think about injuries, you think about how do they survive? How do you how do you live outside of that short season
0: where they're getting paid? So it's a different relation to time. One of the other things you talked about in terms of this is how the perception that the AFLW kind of sprung up overnight. Yes. Yeah. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. We know there's been quite a bit of
3: research lately about this idea that it's not necessarily the only boom time in sport that we've had. So the AFL, they worked with all the pre existing clubs and, and leagues to then bring this national televised competition. So women have had already been playing AFL. And one of the things that is really interesting to me is some of the Victorian women's leagues in particular, they had mostly women governance structures, you know, volunteer boards. Those committees were dismantled by other organisations coming in. So that meant that where you had women leaders in the AFL organising their own competitions, that was yeah removed to be subsumed into AFL Victoria and then AFL. Some of the women really wanted that shift From my roller derby research, I can really reflect that some of the women were really frustrated with the grassroots organisation because they wanted to just push through. They didn't want to have to think about perhaps this other idea of time where things are a bit slower and you have to negotiate and you have to actually attend to everything happening they wanted it faster they wanted to kind of get into that idea of tech time so some women really wanted it and others did not and they were very resistant to this idea of the afl coming and taking over i talk about inserting into the sport industry nexus so the coming together of sport with broadcasting and all the big money in the corporate environment that's very different to playing sport at a grassroots level where you don't have the dollar involved
1: Ah. Uh- you able to share these research findings with the AFL itself and, and when you do your rugby research with them? And if so, or, or have you done so already, do you have any sense of how some of these findings will be received?
3: I don't know how, how they'll be received. I'm in a position where I'm in a um, you know humanities and social science area. I would really love to present my findings. So once I'm maybe have peer reports from the research that I've submitted I would yet hope to get in touch with them and present some of the findings in a way that suits them the AFL have pressures and they have a business and they have shareholders in terms of clubs and members and all of those things I'm really arguing for a more sustainable growth model
1: We can't wait to see how it all turns out over the next little while because it is such fascinating research and really groundbreaking because you have managed to speak to all those people and especially those women and get them to tell you their stories. So good luck with it, Adele. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your findings with us on the outer sanctum. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Adele Pavlidis just
2: actually put the stats and facts mm. and research to what we've been banging on about here for three years. So it turns I'm so out glad we were right. I know, we're on something. Lady. She was awesome. She should be a member of the pod. We should not do, go anywhere we'll without have her. her. Back. Um, okay, any final business, ladies? Yes,
1: yeah, so I just wanted to mention a couple of quick things. So this weekend at the Derby or Derby, whichever one it is, at Perth Stadium, there's going to be a big unveiling, and that is of the Nikki Winmar statue. It will be sitting on Noongar land. Winmar is a Noongar man, so it's a huge moment in the history of our competition and um, I can't wait to see that. I also just wanted to encourage people to get online and have a look at hashtag Justice for Harper. This is a campaign that's come out of Ireland where um, a mascot for the Finn Harps soccer team was, uh, that mascot is a large fluffy dog, was sent off in a soccer match in Ireland for pretending to save shots behind the goal and also for impersonating a dog weighing on a lamppost. And it's just a real tragedy and I feel for Harper The, the mascot. As one eyewitness said, Harper, the mascot, was shocked after being suspended and protested by throwing his hands or paws up in the air before hopping over the wall into the crowd and wandering off with his tail between his legs. So I just wanted people to get behind the campaign yeah. to bring back Harper and um, yeah, and cool. let's hope we don't see him suspended again.
0: I, I just had a little bit of Wimbledon news. They, officially, Wimbledon has changed the tradition of titles for men and women. So in the past, female players were still re- were referred to as Miss believe it or not, Mrs or Ms, and that's still going to continue. But whereas before there were different rules for men and women, now they're going to be the same. So the chair umpire would use titles at the end of each game during women's matches and at the end of the match, but not for men's matches. So now we can look forward to hearing game, set, match, match. Barty. So that's a nice win. And I just want to do a shout out to Majak Daw, who is looking set to return incredibly to the VFL this weekend. Uh, He has to pass a fitness test, but he's after seven months um, of a smashed pelvis. It's incredible to see him almost ready to go. So fingers crossed for him and the best of luck. That is actually an amazing story. So almost worth making your way to the VFL to
2: give him a huge cheer on there.
1: Quick final other piece of business is that my colleague from Monash, Associate Professor Patrick Emerton is on the Minefield uh, show on ABC this week talking about religious freedom in Israel for now. I know it's a topic close to the hearts of many of our listeners, and Patrick has some really important things to say. So please do tune in. And we might bring to that. some
2: excerpts of that into next week's pod for you. Um, but thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for sticking with us. Just <laughs> you got the three jokers Lucy, in the house. Lucy, Goosey. Lucy. Lucy is travelling the world. Alicia is travelling school holidays and Felicity is sitting. She's,
1: She's Googling.
2: Do you know what? Felicity has to change Googling with Felicity to being web browsing with Felicity oh. because Google is a brand name and we're at the ABC. True. So stand by for more web browsing <laughs> with Felicity next week. Thanks very much for joining us. There's only one thing left to say, which is please review us on iTunes
0: <laughs> and go, go footy.